Hello everyone, my name is Mina Ramchandani. I'm an infectious disease physician at the University of Washington in Seattle. This podcast is dedicated to an STD literature review for healthcare professionals who are interested in remaining up to date on the diagnosis, management, and prevention of STDs. If you work in a clinic that sees a high number of patients with Neisseria gonorrhea, treatment of this bacteria is at the forefront of one's mind. Ceftriaxone, which is given as a single 500 milligrams intramuscular dose, is a first-choice antibiotic for the empiric treatment of gonorrhea in the U.S., as well as many other countries. But there are rare circumstances when ceftriaxone just may not be an option. A situation might occur if a patient has a severe allergy to the third-generation sulfosporins, for example, anaphylaxis, or the detection of a Neisseria gonorrhea strain with resistance to both ceftriaxone and azithromycin, which was reported in both the United Kingdom and Australia. So what can you do? With no new drugs currently available that effectively treat Neisseria gonorrhea, recycling older drugs or drugs that are rarely used routinely for this STI are now being explored. Now, antimicrobial stewardship is really important, and so one always has to weigh the risks and benefits of different antibiotics when trying to treat an infection, and so this is a concept we're going to touch on in this episode. This first article for review was published in Lancet Infectious Diseases in May of 2022 by Dr. DeVries and colleagues. It is titled Efficacy of Erdipenem, Gentamycin, Phosphomycin, and Ceftriaxone for the Treatment of Anogenital Gonorrhea, a Randomized Non-Inferiority Trial. I'm going to focus a bit more time on this article. Now, this was a double-blind randomized control trial to assess whether erdipenem, gentamicin, or phosphomycin monotherapy are efficacious alternatives to ceftriaxone monotherapy for the treatment of uncomplicated anogenital gonorrhea. They had three experimental arms and one control arm, and they did the study of the Center for Sexual Health in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and the study was conducted from 2017 to 2020. Participants had to have a positive anorectal or urogenital NAT for Neisseria gonorrhea, and then they were randomly assigned to one of four treatment groups. In these groups, participants received either a single dose of intramuscular ceftriaxone, 500 mg, intramuscular erdipenem, 1,000 mg, intramuscular gentamicin at 5 mg per kilogram, or oral phosphomycin at 6 grams in one dose. Now, whatever treatment the participant received, they also received placebo to replace the other antimicrobial agents, so they were blinded to treatment allocation. They didn't know which treatment they were getting. The primary outcome was successful treatment of the primary anatomical site of infection in each group by a NAT negative test of cure. They enrolled 346 participants, and most of the participants, or 90%, were MSM, or men who have sex with men. 21% were living with HIV. What the authors found is that in the primary protocol analysis, clearance of the infection occurred in 100% of participants in the ceftriaxone group, 99% in the erdipenem group, 93% in the gentamicin group, and only 12% in the phosphomycin group. They then analyzed clearance of Neisseria gonorrhea per site of infection, and what they found is that both ceftriaxone and erdipenem cleared 100% of the urethral infections. But for pharyngeal infections, 90% were cleared with ceftriaxone, 88% with erdipenem, and only 26% with gentamicin. They also did a modified intention-to-treat analysis, and in that setting, the participants without a test of cure were considered as treatment failure. But in this specific analysis, erdipenem did not meet the non-inferiority criterion to ceftriaxone or gentamicin. 
Diarrhea was reported more often with ertapenem and phosphomycin compared with ceftriaxone. Overall, this randomized study showed that a single dose of intramuscular ertapenem, 1,000 mg, was non-inferior to a single dose of intramuscular ceftriaxone, 500 mg, for the treatment of uncomplicated anogenital gonorrhea. The non-inferiority of ertapenem to ceftriaxone was not established in the modified intention-to-treat analysis, but this was really in the unlikely assumption that all six participants without a test of cure failed treatment. I do find it interesting that gentamicin didn't seem to work as well in clearing Neisseria gonorrhea in a general infection, and I was also concerned that pharyngeal infections had lower rates of clearance with all the antibiotics used, although ceftriaxone was the best. I really enjoyed reading this manuscript because it helps explore other possible treatments for Neisseria gonorrhea that haven't been used before. Now, phosphomycin is a desirable option, but it was found to be ineffective in this study, which is unfortunate because it would be nice to have more oral options to treat this organism. In terms of using ertapenem, I don't see us using this medication on a routine basis for Neisseria gonorrhea treatment. And so this gets back to the idea of antimicrobial stewardship. Antibiotics in general are important to treat infections, but we also need to protect patients from potential harm caused by unnecessary antibiotic use. We also need to be concerned about minimizing antibiotic resistance in bacterial pathogens, both for the individual person as well as in the community. Ertapenem is a more broad-spectrum antibiotic, and it's often used in the infectious disease world for multidrug-resistant organisms, which we can't use other antibiotics. For example, there's just not other options available. And so this paper was helpful because in that rare circumstance where you don't have the option of using ceftriaxone, ertapenem might be a possible antimicrobial agent that you can use. But again, I see this in a very rare occurrence. The authors do point out that it's unclear whether ertapenem will be effective for gonococcal infections after, let's say, unsuccessful treatment with ceftriaxone, for example, in the setting of resistance to ceftriaxone. And this is because both antibiotics might have the same resistance pathways, and really further study is needed in this area. The findings from this study leads us to review the second article, which was published in Clinical Infectious Diseases by Dr. Barbie and colleagues. And this article is titled, Gentamicin Alone is Inadequate to Eradicate Neisseria Gonorrhea from the Pharynx, and it was published in November of 2020. Between 2018 and 2019, MSM with a NAT-positive pharyngeal gonorrhea were enrolled in a single-arm, unblinded clinical trial to evaluate gentamicin for the treatment of pharyngeal gonorrhea, and the plan was to enroll 60 participants. Men received a single intramuscular dose of gentamicin, 360 milligrams, and underwent a test of cure by culture four to seven days later. The authors elected to use a higher dose of gentamicin, and this was based on established pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic data, as gentamicin exhibits concentration-dependent bactericidal activity. During this time period, they enrolled 13 participants with pharyngeal gonorrhea, but due to the poor efficacy of gentamicin to treat their infection, the study was stopped early. Of the 13 enrolled participants, only two were cured at the pharynx. Efficacy was not associated with gentamicin peak concentration, or the minimum inhibitory concentration. The study showed that gentamicin alone as monotherapy, even at the elevated dose of 360 milligrams, and that's higher than what's recommended by the CDC for uncomplicated infection, was insufficient to eradicate Neisseria gonorrhea from the pharynx. The study is unique because it was one of the first to evaluate gentamicin efficacy at this body site, and in the absence 
of a second antimicrobial agent. Previous studies provided gentamicin with azithromycin and suggest that the efficacy of gentamicin observed in those other trials might actually reflect the efficacy of the 2 grams of azithromycin that was given in those studies that may have been active against some susceptible isolates. A question that came up in the study by Dr. DeVries is whether ertapenem can treat Neisseria gonorrhea that is resistant to ceftriaxone. Now, we don't have that much data on this topic, but an article was published in Antimicrobial Agents and Chemotherapy, and it touched on this point. It was published in May 2022 by Dr. Lee and colleagues, and is titled In Vitro Activity of Ertapenem Against Neisseria Gonorrhea Clinical Isolates with Decreased Susceptibility or Resistance to the Extended Spectrum Cephalosporins in Nanjing, China, 2013 to 2019. During this time period, 259 strains of Neisseria gonorrhea were included, and these strains were isolated from men with symptomatic urethritis who had attended an STD clinic at the Institute of Dermatology in Nanjing, China. And they demonstrated, these isolates demonstrated, decreased susceptibility or resistance to ceftriaxone and cefixime as defined by the World Health Organization. Now let's take a step back because I'd like to define some terms that were mentioned in the study. The MIC stands for Minimum Inhibitory Concentration, and what it is is the lowest concentration of an antibiotic at which bacterial growth is inhibited in vitro. The MIC-50 represents the antibiotic concentration at which 50% or more of the isolates are inhibited, and the MIC-90 is the concentration that would inhibit 90% of the isolates. The criteria used for the decreased susceptibility to ceftriaxone was an MIC of 0.125 mg per liter, or greater, and for cefixime, it was an MIC of 0.25 mg per liter or greater. The authors found that the MIC-50 of ertapenem was 0.032 mg per liter and substantially lower than that observed for ceftriaxone and cefixime. The MIC-90 for ertapenem was 0.125 mg per liter, and it was similar to the MIC-90 observed for ceftriaxone, but lower than that MIC-90 for cefixime. They did find nine isolates, or 3.5%, that were fully resistant to ceftriaxone and cefixime. But what was encouraging is that based on the MIC values, ertapenem would be effective against these nine isolates. Overall, 83% and 96% of Neisseria gonorrhea isolates had ertapenem MICs below the ceftriaxone and cefixime susceptibility breakpoints, respectively. They found that the PEN-A mosaic allele, which is known to be present in many Neisseria gonorrhea strains that possess decreased susceptibility to the extended spectrum cephalosporins, including ceftriaxone, was present at a significantly higher proportion of isolates with higher ertapenem MICs. They also found that ertapenem susceptibilities of isolates containing the PEN-A mosaic allele were lower than the susceptibilities of isolates that lacked the mosaic allele. In summary, the study found that ertapenem might be effective to treat Neisseria gonorrhea isolates with decreased susceptibility or resistance to ceftriaxone or suffixing. I've only provided a brief summary here, so I encourage you to take a look at this article if you're interested in learning more about this topic. Also, another article that was published in the same journal by Dr. Unamo and colleagues in 2012 covers similar points, and it talks about the in vitro activity of ertapenem versus ceftriaxone against Neisseria gonorrhea isolates with diverse ceftriaxone MIC values. To conclude, I'd like to summarize some key points from the session. Intramuscular ertapenem is non-inferior to intramuscular ceftriaxone 
for the treatment of uncomplicated anogenital gonorrhea infection. But antimicrobial stewardship considerations should be taken into account when considering this antibiotic for use. Gentamicin monotherapy is not effective to treat Neisseria gonorrhea in the pharynx, and in vitro data suggests ertapenem may be effective in treating Neisseria gonorrhea isolates that are resistant to ceftriaxone and cefixime. This podcast is brought to you by the National STD Curriculum, the University of Washington STD Prevention Training Center, and is funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Transcripts and references for this podcast series can be found on our website, the National STD Curriculum at www.std.uw.edu. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.